Another Ian Collins wants a word fact. Powered by the Mitsubishi L200. It will take around 150 years to drive to the sun. No match for the L200's 2.5-litre turbocharged engine. Ray-Bans not included. Wants a word. Blimey, Kev, call that a suntan? You look like you've been dipped in an industrial furnace, man. And welcome back, pop merchants. It's the Autonomal Collection. A new season, a new dawn, a new vigour, and, well, frankly, the same old chat uh. from this end. On the show, this. You know what you need? You need an eggy ring. A fairy liquid bottle's worth of this. Whilst he's been hosting at The Daily Show, we've only really had time to do one big story rather than three or four. You see, that's not bad, is it? Back for our first show of the new season, comedian Andy Zaltzman will be with us. And we'd be more frustrated than a eunuch in a harem if we didn't make healthy hay with some of this. (laughs) And you can begin to see how the excitement levels are about to... Well, frankly, dissipate here in the studio. Look, here he is, still thong-wearing, Sideshow Kev. There's nothing wrong with my thong. Happy holiday, back return from. Thanks, man. Pleasure. I must say, it's an honour to be back. I feel rejuvenated. I should do in these new studios. It's not bad, is it? It's all right, isn't it? You go away for two weeks and they put a plant in and say it's new. And a fireplace. You notice that. This is very strange in a studio. It's very odd, but I, I like the homely feel they've given it. The difficulty is, it's one of those fireplaces from the 70s which doesn't actually have a real fire. It's got, like, that plastic orange coal effect going on. Mm. One of the bulbs has gone as well. It's very true. Much like women that work in radio, you wouldn't want to poke it. (laughs) I should say that isn't my view, by the way. I'm simply uh, parodying and attacking some of the meanness that appears on the forums about radio. Absolutely true. Yeah. This is an industry that had Janet Gershlik in it, damn it. Yes. Kev, have you got questions? From Lowestoft Nikki. Nikki says, where have you been? I've had to listen to Ian Lee on BBC Nine Counties for the past two weeks. <laughs> sort it out, you pair of work-shy tits. Well, Kev was attending to his garden, of course, the tastiest chrysanths this side of Ballyhoo. Yes, well, look, they take a lot of nurturing. Whereas I was busy judging the political... 2013 Bell End of the Year contest. Ah. Yeah, which politician would get that award? Who's your favourite? Well, there's loads to choose from. Sometimes uh, you have to go abroad uh, for this. Right. And uh, a couple of weeks back, a woman called Stephanie Bannister was contesting a seat in Queensland for the One Nation Party in Australia. Oh, yeah. The One Nation Party is the Australian version of the British National Party. Is that right? Yeah. Now, this woman had been in politics... Her political career had lasted... God, have a guess. How long, how long do you think she'd been? Oh, um, 15 years, maybe? Something in like order that. to stand. Well, you'd yeah. have to, because you'd have to know what you were talking about. 48 hours. That's how long. <laughs> that's how long this joker had been in politics. And if you want to know, what I'm t- you've got to have a listen to this. This is just chock block full of beautiful howlers. I don't oppose Islam as a country. Um, but I do feel that their laws should not be welcome here in Australia. Less than 2% of um, Australians follow Haram. Um, Jews aren't under Haram, they have their own religion which um, follows Jesus Christ. They don't have a tax on it, they've just got a, a certain way of making it where Haram has a tax on the food. Everyone in the world has a lot to learn about day-to-day stuff and it's, everything in life is just about learning. <laughs> That's remarkable. Yeah. Possible contender for the for the prize? I think you should just scrap the ceremony. And... I think so too. Mind you, you never know what's going to happen in this country, do you? There was one fella, one of the opposition uh, candidates as well, who, who's hoping to get elected, and the opposition had got a six-point plan, and he was asked about the six-point plan. Okay. And he said, I think it's a very good six-point plan. And they said, which one of the points do you like best? Was it Alf from Home and Away? <laughs> he said, I like all six, and then he turned into Simon Bates and said... <laughs> Vote for me in the Aussie elections. <laughs> so it's all going off down underway, as you can see. From Lucky Luke. <laughs> Luke says, I'm a new listener. 
Hello, Luke. This podcast spreads joy. How can I own a part of it? Eh? Oh, any merchandise? How about a live show? Well, Luke... Oh, for God's sake. I'm glad you mentioned that. Because if you'd like to join the live show mailing list, you yep. can email me, kev at onceaword.com. For people who have already registered, and there are an awful lot of people now who are actually sending slightly angry emails because they haven't had anything on the mailing list. We've actually got p- people asking for their tickets. <laughs> yes. We haven't sold genuine. you any tickets. No, we have. People are saying, where are my tickets? Now, when we have a date for the live show, we will send out information. If you have emailed in, rest assured you are on the list. Mm. Stop complaining. As for merch... What, what are we looking at here? A bendy sideshow? Well, no. In time for Christmas, hopefully, we've got that T-shirt. Oh, that one? That T-shirt. Oh, that would be good. Now, that will be a very limited edition, but that's going to be quite exciting. That T-shirt will work. That T-shirt would work regardless of this podcast, put it that way. I think it would have been nice to have it in time for yeah. summer so people could wear it on the holiday. Yeah, I mean, the fact we are going to release a T-shirt for the winter period... <laughs> I know. Perhaps gives you some idea of the organisation behind this shenanigan. It's the gift for the once a word listener in your life, though. That keeps on giving. Yeah. Where do we email then to find oh, out? Oh, kev at once a word.com. Kev at once a word.com. Oh, word. kev at once a word.com. Kev at once a word.com. Everybody now, even if you don't normally, kev at once a word.com. Just send it through and say, yes, I w- I'd like to come to the live show. Or just say, f <laughs> off. Stick your <laughs> live you show up your ass. Yeah. Uh, either, either one will do. Yeah. And half of those will, of course, be auto forwarded by a rule to Andre. Of course. From Nev and Trev, from the <laughs> warehouse out the back. Oh, Nev and Trev. Nev and Trev from out the back? Yeah, they try to talk to me every time I come in here, and I just ignore them. Yes, you wear shades and a hat, you tart. You have to, though. It's a hat I found on the tube. It says boy on it. Yep. While you two were away, we spotted Andre in the studio making demo tapes. Do you think he's about to jump ship? <laughs> I hear the bugle are on the lookout for a new voice. Well, Andy Zaltzman's on with us later, of course. Andy Zaltzman. Yeah, Andy Zaltzman's 50% of the bugle, yeah. so we'll find out. Lots of things have happened with yes. the bugle folk, mm-hmm. with Oliver and Zaltzman, so... We should ask him if John Oliver really sounds like that, because I think he's now putting it on a little bit. He now sounds like the way an American would think an English person sounds. So I think he's, he's building it up a little bit. You mean like Hugh Grant? Or Dick Van Dyke. Or Matt Smith. He's not Cockney, I don't know what you're on about. Oh, I'm Matt Smith. Out of I speak that too, right? Out of it's the size of a f-ing ballroom. <laughs> Which is sort of the point of the TARDIS, really. So that uh, point was really surplus to TARDIS requirements. But yeah, f-ing hell, since I left there, man, I'm telling you, I've been roughing folk up left. In fact, people look at me the wrong way, I'll kick the shit out of them. <laughs> you bunch of f-ing hooies. Who are ya? Hooies? Isn't that what you lot are called? It's not what I'm called. No, I know what you're called. Stop it. Uh, from Scott, Scott says, I think ELO were nothing more than pomp, rock, chancers who pumped out overproduced garbage like it was silage. Who? ELO. ELO. I bet Kev likes them. Not really. Whenever you see one of those kind of slightly worthy BBC4 documentaries about credible musos, then he's always either referred to or pitches up or you discover he was in sort of 17 other bands or co-wrote stuff you didn't quite realise. The Nick Kershaw of the day, you know, the foot-tapping tune thing. Mr. Blue Skies, all right? Yeah, but I never got into them, ever. I don't think anybody can, can I'm you too get young. Into... I'm just simply too young. Well, we're all too young on that score, but can you get into ELO? I mean, can you be... Oh, I know people who are massive fans. Seriously? Yeah, massive fans. I just think they're a sort of band that turn up on the radio and you go, oh, that's quite a pleasant song, and then you just sort of move on. You know it's them immediately because there's a 58-piece brass section. On every bloody But how chorus. many stations really play ELO? I mean, Radio 2 probably do a little probably. bit. Probably. Could you name five ELO hits? Mr. Blue Sky. Yep. Evil Woman. Yep. Uh, Sweet Talking Woman. Sweet Talking Woman. Womany, womany, woman, woman. Yep. The and Woman Who Lived in the Sky. The Woman Who Lived in the Sky. That was a good one. Yeah. Blue Woman. Yep. And uh, Sweet Evil Woman. That was another one. Yep. Mr. Evil. Where is your woman? Yep. Uh, We're almost experts. <laughs> From Sam, who is a girl. Little and large were shit. That's all. I would struggle to create a reasonable argument against that statement, frankly. Even at the time, those sort of tail end of that era. Yeah. When they were, you know, he was a, the, the fat fella was an awful impressionist. Well, he could, no, he did Cliff very well. It, it was just sort of parody stuff. And then the skinny bloke, I, I have no idea how somebody said this should be the face of Saturday night television. And they were on for years, weren't they? Forever. 
But it's just, it is weird, because they didn't really seem to do very much. There just seemed to be this natural point when, because they were on TV forever, and then they just weren't on TV anymore. Mm. And I think, didn't they have a big falling out or something? All those characters do, don't they? Cannon and Ball, Keith Harrison, Orville. Yeah. They stopped talking for ages. Yeah, well, that was that was a very sad situation. Very. From Fluella Benjamin's hat. <laughs> just before you went away, you libeled Sooty. Ah, speaking of show business icons. Oh, yeah. You libeled Sooty of Sooty and Sweep fame. How did you manage to go down that route without a single reference to the monumental shyster that was Humpty Dumpty? Where do you think this egg-based piece of cloth could be these days? We did talk about Humpty Dumpty, though, didn't we? Did we? Yeah, because uh, somebody sent us the origin of the nursery rhyme, and it has to do with... Oh, isn't there like 12,000... This is one for Helen and Ollie, really, isn't it? That's is right. It, isn't there about 12,000 interpretations that it was to do with syphilis, or it was to do with <laughs> some, some metaphorical interpretation of something, or it was meant to be a, a parable of something else? Or is it just really a basic culinary message... Don't put your eggs on the wall. Because <laughs> the walls back then were quite rocky. They were. That's a good point. Yeah, I think it was about, really about that. If you put your eggs on the wall, then a war will take place. Well, you can't put your eggs anywhere except in an egg box or an egg cup because they're just not practical because they roll around. So maybe you're right. Maybe it's just about... The practicalities eggs. of egg care. Favourite egg? What do you mean favourite egg? Well, how do you like your eggs? Oh, poached. Poached? Yeah. Do you know what? I cannot master a fort love... Or kitchen-based money. How to cook properly a poached egg. I've given that all manner of permutations. It, it kind of works, but it looks like something that came out of the makeup department at the Hammer Horror Studios. <laughs> yeah. It kind of looks like an eye. You know what you need? You need an eggy ring. No, for poaching, stop it. For poaching, you can get these rings that you, you open the egg into and it keeps it a nice sort of shape. Yeah, but I, I kind of get that. But then you sort of think, well, is that really a poached egg? If you ever go to a, a hotel or somewhere where there's a bloke doing the old breakfast on, the, on one of those buffet things where you all queue up with a hot plate yeah, yeah. for way too long. And I, it, he's got a big pot and he kind of, what, you know, he's frying bacon with one hand and with the other hand he just picks up an egg and goes wallop yeah. straight into a massive pot of boiling water yeah. and out comes a beautiful, perfect poached egg. Now, is that about the size of his pot? Is that about <laughs> some... I don't know. About, is it about the, the speed in which he thrusts the egg into the water? What's well, that about? Well, here's my question. Okay, so you're a fan of the poached egg. I don't mind the poached egg myself. Where do you stand on the fried egg? And don't say my toes would get yolky. I don't. I love a Friday, of course I do. Okay. Who doesn't like a Friday? Right. What about boiled? Boiled's all right. Yeah, I had one the other day, actually. Okay. okay. As long as you don't Scrambled? Overboard. Yep, scrambled uh, on toast is good. Now, how... Where are you going with this, by the way? Well, uh, no, I have no idea. But when it comes <laughs> to... You the egg, please. When it comes to your, your, your scrambled egg, yeah. though, do you like it like... Because there seems to be this modern trend for scrambled eggs to effectively be almost raw and, like, really not fluffy or cooked, but, like, gooey and... Oh. Ugh. I can't be no, doing no, no, with no, any of that. Proper what I don't get, and I've never worked out, but which egg gives you nice yellow scrambled egg, and so, sometimes you just get sort of pasty yellow, which that's is almost right. white. Yeah, and you think that doesn't look, that doesn't look as good as the one the week before. Well, what happened? What did I? But what do I buy? Do I buy super yellow eggs? Yeah. Do I buy pasty white eggs? It just says eggs on the front. It might offer me a free-range alternative. It might sometimes go down the organic route, but it doesn't really proclaim what colour it might be when it's f***ing scrambled. <laughs> yes, true. There's nothing there. You like. need a little chart on the side which shows you what it will look like. You really do want a colour chart. Like, yeah. sort of, Dulux should get involved <laughs> with this process somewhere. Yeah, that would screw up all their eggshell blue and things like that, though, wouldn't it? Crazy bastards. Uh, from Hammy the Blue. Speaking of blue, it's nearly Christmas. Have you put your tree up yet? No, but I know somebody who has. Who? Uh, well, I know a pub that has. Where? This not was one, not one we go to. No, this was just before the uh, before we had our break, and it was a beautiful hot day. It was about thirty degrees, and we were in a pub having a bite to eat, and I looked through at the, at the the bar, and I thought I saw the reflection of some lights, and I was about to say that looks like a Christmas tree. Yeah, and it was a Christmas tree, and it was in front of a blackboard that said. Uh, you know, book now for Christmas. And I thought, Mad. wow, that's extraordinary, because this was sort of, what, early to mid-August. And when the woman came over and took the, the order for, for a bit of grub, I mentioned this to her, and she said, I don't know why we got that up there. And I said, oh, well, you mean it's too early? She went, no, we've been booked up for Christmas since last January. What? <laughs> 
What? Christmas Day in this boozer is booked up, and it has been since January. I haven't been out for dinner on Christmas Day. I feel I should try it this year. Uh, yeah, it depends where you go. Yeah. Because we had a, we've had a couple of, you know, we've had good and bad. And last year when the whole family were there, was, I don't know if I told you this, it was when the, uh, the waiter fella, so it was a, you know, a nice sort of barn type pub, like there's loads of those things around. Yeah. Uh, but they did the whole works and there was a lot of us and we thought it ticks every box and it'll probably be okay. And it sort of was okay. And halfway through, uh, the music in the pub stopped. Oh. Uh, I thought, that's a bit strange. It's clearly not meant to happen. The music has stopped. Can't be the case at Christmas. Fanny comes back up, you know, ready to take our plates away, waiting for the dessert, bit of Christmas pud. Mm-hmm. And I said, uh, could you put the music back on? And he looked at me and he went, uh, we are about to close. And right. I said, this is our Christmas dinner, mate. Yeah. And then he, the kind of full horror of what he just said, I think, sunk in because he went from like a normal pasty white to a kind of transparent. Oh, I think he thought he was working on a normal Saturday night when you would say to somebody. Of course you would, yeah. You know, yeah. Oh, we're about to close. And then he suddenly realised, shit, these people have paid for their Christmas dinner. And there's 12 of them. So I kicked him down the stairs. <laughs> little wag, wag, oops. And finally, Esther, from Kid Rock's Rock. <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, this is in reference to our long-standing search. As you know, before the break, I was livid about the fact the BBC have lied to us for many, many years about the existence of a thing called a blankety-blank checkbook and pen. Ah, yeah, how are we going they with don't the search? Exist. Well, no one has ever found one. No one has ever seen one. Therefore, people are contributing their blankety-blank checkbook and pen experiences or other game show experiences come to that. Kid Rocks Rock <laughs> says, I've never seen a blankety-blank checkbook and pen. Well, what a f***ing <laughs> use you are, mate. <laughs> but my auntie once appeared on Brucey's Generation Game oh, yeah. and won a tease made. It had a Is whole- that it? Well, no, there's a bit more. It had a hole in the base, so leaked hot water everywhere. My aunt was unsure of what to do, given that it's not like she could take it back to the shop, so she wrote to the BBC Complaints Department. Weirdly, she never got a replacement, but three weeks later, inexplicably received a Cracker Jack pen in the post with no (laughs) accompanying letter. If she only won a tease, mate, that's the worst contestant on the conveyor belt ever. I think so. Because you could only win, really, I think, on the last that last bit. You, you played the whole game in order to be on the conveyor belt. I could only think that perhaps there are other items but she was most proud of the tease made, perhaps. As a kid, I thought that was magic, that. It was. And all it was was a set with a hole in it. But the idea that all these goodies used to go past. And do you remember there was once a BBC strike and they actually got stagehands to walk with the stuff. No, they didn't. They seriously did. Did they? There was a strike and they had to record the Generation game during the strike and the set was only half built so they had no conveyor belt so they got a bunch of stagehands to walk like with trays with the stuff well, on they were in the brown jackets and all that? Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a punchline? There's no punchline to it, no. There's not. That's it's just a vague Generation game piece of trivia. Um, I, didn't, I didn't see it but I, I heard of it. Well, I'm going to search YouTube. Look for it. Now. Yeah, look, just punch in Generation game strike when the set wasn't properly built and some blokes probably wearing uh, those brown jackets had to walk on with the staff and the contestants tried to win the prizes. Just type that in. I will do. And it'll probably be there. Do hope so. If you've got any questions you want to throw our way, very simply, ian at onceaword.com or kev at onceaword.com. Yes, it is that feature that takes a long, hard look at life's knobheads. You know the kind of folk, those who, regardless of sex, status or faith, find themselves acting in a penile-based manner. They might be off the telly, they could be your mate or your neighbour. It's possible it's even your other half. Whoever they are, wherever they lurk, these are the people who, from time to time, display such traits of sheer dumbass buffoonery, you find yourself concluding only one thing. Hey! Hey! You're being a dick. And there are quite a few on this list tonight, Kev. Have you got one? I do. Go on. It's a brief one. No names, but you'll know who I mean. Okay. People who use Twitter, who might have a little bit of a profile, who go wild establishing worthy campaigns and thrusting into action, but are in reality only doing it 
as a little bit of a PR exercise for themselves. I see. I'll leave it there. Well, strangely enough, I'm not in dissimilar territory on this. Really? Uh, But I think we're thinking of a different person here. Because I'm going to name the person. I'm going for Stephen Fry. Oh. For his incredible reverse ferret on the uh, Russian Winter Olympics, where he was badgering the PM, you know, as, as if the Prime Minister has some... You know, the whole country is hanging around saying, why has the Prime Minister not responded to Stephen Fry? It's like, well, one, he's Stephen Fry, <laughs> so that doesn't really mean he's part of the Prime Minister's official business that day. No. And two, it's, you know, a personal opinion. He's got... Because Stephen Fry is famous to us from the telly, and we all love him, you know, national treasure and all that kind of caper. doesn't mean to say that the PM's got some kind of obligation to write back, but he did write back. He said, I can. I take your point, I see why you want, you know, you think there should be a boycott of the, the, the Russian Olympics. I mean, they these guys in Russia take the whole homophobic thing, you know, to, to such terrifying degrees. And True. this isn't just one or two toe rags of an extremist party. You know, this is given the green light by the church, by the president, yeah. by those around. He had that gymnast the other day uh, a couple of weeks back, the, the, I think she was a pole vaulter or something. Oh, yeah. Uh, saying, you know, it's like we, we uh, unfortunately, <laughs> yes. she, she, we, you know, we love, uh, you know, we, we, we like everybody in our country, but we don't really want the gays coming around here. You know, it's not it's not right, is it? It's not normal. And I'm thinking to myself, is this woman for real? Uh, but, but nonetheless, that's what she had to say. And so Stephen Fry and others were rallying against that. And I've got no truck with that, but they thought the prime minister should as well. And actually, most of the athletes want to go because they think attending is better than not attending. I think that's a better sort of form of protest. I know some disagree. But then later in the day, after Stephen Fry had sent all the tweets and then joined the protest in Whitehall, he, he just suddenly went, uh, do you know, I was wrong on all of that. Uh, the Prime <laughs> Minister is right. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Go, go, Olympians. Go to the uh, Russian Olympics and we'll Weird. protest another way. Well, just to say, he wasn't who I was thinking of. No, I don't. Yeah, I think I know. Yeah. You've got a couple of merchants up your oh, yeah. sleeve. Yeah. The other is a Canadian person. Is it Mike Hansen? I wish it was. Did you see this story? The Canadian mechanic who was fired after police saw his tweet asking for someone to drop round some marijuana to his workplace. Awesome. Yeah. The Twitter user asked on the social network whether a dealer could bring drugs to his Toronto-area garage as he needed a spliff or two to finish his shift. (laughs) The garage, called Mr Lube... (laughs) I kid you not. So, what goes on there? It's too easy, isn't it? We fix your exhaust. We change your tyres. We cram your... <laughs> what happens at that place? But the garage said the employee was sacked. After this doofus had tweeted, the police saw it as well. They retweeted it and added, Awesome, can we come too? <laughs> uh, the profile on the Twitter feed was later changed to read, My tweets are not serious, by the way. And then it was deleted. Mr. Lube thanked the police force on the social media platform and added, the matter has now been handled. Good old Mr. Lube. Paul in Sevenoaks says, I'd like to nominate the media for their coverage of A-level and GCSE students getting their exam results over the last three weeks. Have you noticed that it's nearly always posh kids they talk to? Yes, but specifically, it's posh girls jumping in the air in photographs in the papers. Correct. Do something more original. Paul says, I never, ever saw a film crew descend on knob cheese high to find, <laughs> to find out. Tell us, Chantel, how were your A-level results? What the f*** is an A-level? <laughs> Mikey in Newcastle, one of our regulars, he says, I'd like to nominate my sister for going out a guy who has a tattoo of his dead nan on the back of his neck. What? <laughs> what? That's not unusual. Yes, it is. Did you see that um, tattoo I tweeted? Yes, that was before we went away. Brilliant. But someone had had their well an attempt to have a tattoo of their baby. You've got to really go to a top-notch tat artist, haven't you? If you want to ink up your back with a picture of yep. your loved one, yep. and they've really got to know what they're doing. You've really got to be in Rembrandt territory. This is true. Or, or just leave it alone. Yeah. Andy Wildman is still building the case against his dad. Remember a few weeks ago. Uh, his dad bought a garden hoe, yep. despite living in a flat and having no garden. <laughs> and he was hoping this was just a blip, but sadly his dad's irrational horticultural fetishes continue, as this week he went out and bought himself a lawnmower. Did and he? yes, he still has no garden. So. Right. And he doesn't know what's going on with the old man there. Uh, again, maybe his job is that he likes to sneak out and mow lawns. Or he could just collect garden stuff. Weirdo. Neil in Swansea via Facebook says, Can I nominate people who do shows at the Edinburgh Festival who have no discernible talent whatsoever? This year we saw a man juggle stuffed toys while wearing a mask to the tune of Lady Gaga's Edge of Glory. <laughs> he called himself a performance artist, but I just called him a c- <laughs> and asked for my six pounds back. 
<laughs> there is quite a lot of that goes on because anyone who wants to go up there can rent a space. Mm. I mean, more and more people wanted to go there. There's more and more characters renting out odd bits of space. So it could be the kitchen in a restaurant, it could be the corner of a school, it could yeah. be anywhere you like. So anyone get that fancies a go can do it. And then people got there to buy the tickets, all the big shows, all the shows you want to see are all sold out. So you start looking further down the list. You look at a little bit of some of those flyers you might have previously discarded. And you think, oh, I know I'm going to go to see. I go to see Mask Juggle Man. Ooh. Uh, he looks good. He is good. For six pounds. And he spent 40 minutes doing nothing but juggling stuffed toys. You're right. I mean, there is an incredible lack of talent uh, at the Edinburgh Festival this year. For example, <laughs> was doing a show there. I mean, that's all you need to know, really. Really? Yeah. Wow. Sicko says, I'd like to nominate the Spanish and British Prime Ministers for acting like a couple of dodgy handbag merchants having a tiff over Gibraltar. It's a bit weird, that, isn't it, that whole Gibraltar thing? We want it back. We're not having it back. Yeah. We might want it back. In that case, we're going to make it... What are we going to do? We're going to make uh, people who are coming out of Gibraltar or going in wait in long queues. Sort it out, man. Yeah, but, I mean, I don't think Britain can really sort of jump in and say, hey, this is terrible what you're doing, whilst we've got the Falklands off the coast of Argentina, where everyone... <laughs> is their own cousin. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm just saying. Hi to all our Falklander listeners, <laughs> by the way. They love this. Yeah. They look at this as being a bit of British, you know. There's phone boxes, yep. there's the Queen, there's a picture of Thatcher, there's a flag, and this podcast. <laughs> That's all they've got. Until You've now. just removed a fifth of that. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, Manny the Man says, I'm going for my local council, he doesn't say who, who have cut down on delivering meals for the elderly while simultaneously sending a dozen councillors on a fact-finding trip to Dubai and buying them each an iPad. This happens a lot. I've always said the biggest scandals, and I think we were slightly sidetracked with the Westminster expenses scandal and MPs, and terrible as that was, and it exposed all manner of skullduggery and wrongdoing and illegality, and you know, some went to jail, etc. But actually, the real areas, I think the real areas of political corruption actually lie in your local town hall. They lie in your local authority. You look at the chamber, look at who's on the council, look at what they claim for, look at what else goes on, look at what's wasted, look at what you're not allowed to know, look at the council meetings that are held in bloody secrecy when it's your council, your people, you, the people that you elected, etc. And they have time on their hands to do shit like this. Mm. Was it Monmouthshire Council that spent 1,500 quid on some kind of abstract toy, the idea of which you were meant to pass around the room as it was a staff training exercise. Oh, I hate that. And you were meant to go, you know, I can put this over my shoulder and pretend that it's a, a Mac. I can put it on my head and pretend that it's a oh, nice... Oh, don't, you don't. Know, this, this is pensioners' money. They spent buying what is essentially a glorified dildo yeah, yeah, to well, train yes. staff in communication skills. Yeah, this is this whole sort of boardroom mentality. Yeah. It used to be, for example, you remember this, we did it all the time. In radio, you uh, go down the pub, you come up with some ideas. We, you have a few beers, you write down the ideas, or you just have beers and forget the ideas, as, as we constantly did. <laughs> but one notable radio station I worked for recently uh, had the, uh, the chairman suggesting we get a box of creative toys to inspire creative thought in, in the boardroom. And you're like, firstly, that does sound like dirty sex. Yeah. Secondly... Why can't we just go to the pub and talk about it there? But, I don't, I don't thirdly, need to... Where did he get the idea from? Exactly. A council, probably. If you said to him, Mate, do you know that toy idea you came up with? Do you re did you really believe that? There's no way with a straight face he could answer yes. Surely. Nobody could answer yes to that question. Mind you, this is the same man who had everyone in the boardroom talking for an hour and a half about what colour the blind should be. Oh, yeah. I wish him well. Uh, we will have some more nominations for Hey, Hey, hey! You're Being a Dick in a couple of weeks' time. Andy Zaltzman will join us in a bit as well after this. And we take a pause in order to talk about you. Yes, that's you. You work hard, you know what you like, and you know a tasty vehicle when you see one. Just have a think about some of this, because you can now save up to £5,000 on the ultimate 4x4. I'm talking about the Mitsubishi Shogun, with prices starting from just 26199 and 0% finance across the range. You simply have to check out the website for some very special offers. Mitsubishi-cars.co.uk slash Shogun. The Mitsubishi Shogun, always capable, surprisingly affordable. Now, it might be the autonomous season, everybody. I don't know what that means for this uh, sort of section. We just hand it over. Like a you know a dog sh sandwich to sideshow Kev and say, here you go, here's some time. What are you going to do with it? It's once again time for 
Sideshow Kev's Guide to Internet Protocol. Like it. Andre, give me some suitably 1980s technical music like the internet hasn't been invented yet. We've just invented it and we're talking about it on tomorrow's world. Judith! The internet? Yes. What a b- <laughs> For all the good it does, there's a hell of a lot of absolute nonsense spread as truth, isn't there? Mm. By well-meaning but generally quite dim people. Technology has hastened the speed and spread of a brand new form of bullshit. This week, Sideshow Kev's Guide to Internet Protocol dives into the murky world of internet hoaxes. Sounds murky, but it sounds intriguing. Here are some of my favourites. Bill Gates buys the Catholic Church. Do you remember this one? Vaguely, yeah. (laughs) 1994, a press release which purported to be from Microsoft went circulating around the internet... Uh, claiming that Microsoft had bought the Catholic Church. Now, 1994, we were like, what, 16, 17 years old, so we might not remember it. I don't even remember having the internet back then. The press release said, the combined resources of Microsoft and the Catholic Church will allow us to make religion easier and more fun for a broader range of people. It quoted Bill Gates as saying, this was so widespread, Microsoft had to issue a formal denial. We are not buying the Catholic Church. Brilliant. Um, and I don't know about making That would have made easier. Bill Gates the Pope, wouldn't it? But isn't he giving all of his money to, like, his no. kids are getting f*** all, and he's giving all of his money to, like, education charities? Yeah, but they, a lot of them do that, don't they? Once they get to, like, 58 trillion, they go, do you know what, I'm going to give some of this away. Well, you didn't say that when you only had 20,000, did you? But these... You waited till you got to the big numbers Five... before you really got generous. But you have to consider this. With, with Bill Gates, George Lucas has said the same, and he's a billionaire, and there are others. If you're Bill Gates' like, son, and you've had this kicked out of you at school because your dad is Bill Gates, you probably want Shut a couple of billion. computers. Yeah, you probably want a couple of billion, don't you? At least. Because, you know, Big Tommy kicked Bill Jr.'s shins in on account of the fact that when he was compiling his dissertation, uh, his PC crashed, and it's therefore... Bill Jr.'s fault. Yeah. Well, maybe they'll, dad. they'll probably get something, won't they? I mean, it's not going to be a total blanking. I don't know. But then, should there also be the, hey, you should make a success of yourself in the world? Yeah, but that's the, terrible parenting. They though. always do that whenever you meet folk. And you, we'd all sit a bit in the workplace who come from reasonably good families. Mm. And they'll always talk about, you know, I'm skinned, I've got no money, you know, I've got, you know, can't go out this week. But they have a five bedroom house that their mum or dad bought them. It's somewhere down south in Clapham or something. Yeah. So they've usually been looked after at some level. Here's another hoax. Go on. Viral video went round. Charge your iPod using an onion. <laughs> you know when you see people with light bulbs and they stick them in a potato and the light bulb comes on? Because yeah. they have a little current through them. Apparently this viral video... No, goes- that's a bun. <laughs> This viral video goes round. It has uh, someone with an iPod, an onion, and a glass of Gatorade. And they hook them all together and the iPod charges. So all of these people all across (laughs) the world are going to their kitchens and getting all this stuff and plugging it in and thinking, I'm saving a little bit of money here. My electricity bill is going to be much lower. All I need to do is buy a 27p bag of onions and a can of Gatorade. You can see how some of these crazy ideas that sound crazy are, are sort of for real, or at least someone is investigating it. So a matey comes along with his onion and his glass of doom, and <laughs> you can imagine doom. somebody thinks, yeah, that's going to That'll work. be on Talk Sport yeah. in a few weeks. I'm still intrigued by the fact that the potato has an electric current through it. Yeah. Have you been hallucinating? No, no. You've been you, on the mushrooms again, No, you, you've, you've seen this. You, you, at school, you could do it. It's like a, a light... I don't know how it works. I'm not a scientist, but it has to do with... Uh, acid and stuff, because batteries have got acid in them, and that's how it works. I'm going to bring in a sizable King Edward for the next podcast. I wish you would. Let's see what happens. You could power the podcast. We'll try. This is a personal pet hate of mine, and you will have seen this. It's a fairly recent thing. When people post a screenshot and say, oh, it's Back to the Future Day. This is the day that Marty McFly travelled to in Back to the Future 2 when he was travelling into the future. I think every year for a few years, there's somebody on Facebook or Twitter who posts it as absolute fact. Here's the thing, though. In the film, he travelled to the 21st of October 2015, which means every time you see that screenshot, somebody has made it up. 
in two years' time, everyone can have a field day about it. But not yet. But not yet. So when you see it this year and next year, please tell your friends. In fact, just unfriend them. Yes. Never talk to them again, because they've been suckered into this. Not a word. And finally... Yes. (laughs) Going to apologise in advance for this one, Mm -hmm. because some people might be upset by it, and I hasten to add this is not something I have made up. This was something that went on the internet. It was a hoax. It was not real. But... Do you remember the concept of the bonsai kitten? <laughs> in other words, do you fancy a boxy pussy? Come on, they did it in the 70s. If I can't do it here, <laughs> they did it in the 70s. Now we're greenlighting this kid. Yeah, it was all right. A kitten in the shape of a rectangle. Yeah. This hoax, the bonsai kitten hoax, came from the year 2000, which was a stellar year for many reasons. Mm. Uh, But it showed you how to use the idea behind bonsai trees, because you can sort of mould them into shape. To mould your baby kitten into shape by putting it in a glass container. Apparently created by a, uh, this is a fictional character, Dr. Michael Wong Chang, uh, who said this is the way you can have a nice little square kitten to, 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 you know... (laughs) It, which reminded me, actually... Would it make it square or spherical? Well, it, um, it would make it sort of square, but the reason I, I was attracted to that is because it, it reminded me of uh, many years ago on a radio station called Talk Radio. Do you know what I'm going to say? We had this caller on who was talking... Who, who just phoned up this lady who was driving, and she said... And you got into a conversation with her or something. She said, where are you driving to tonight? She says, I'm going to the vets. <laughs> no one ever heard this, which is why I could talk about it. We're going to the vets. Uh, I said, why is that? Well, I've I've got some kittens, um, and I accidentally spilt varnish on them. And you said, oh, that's a shame. I hope they get better. But if not, you can always use them as miniature coffee tables. (laughs) You looked through the glass. You looked at me and esteemed producer Mike Hansen and just (laughs) hit the dump button and dumped yourself. Because you just thought, why did I do that? Because I think at the time, people were very heightened about animal cruelty, and I think there had been something else on another show. But the miniature coffee tables line was just brilliant. Nice idea, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, never happened. Next week... Yes? It's the return of the band list. Oh, good. We like the... No, genuinely, I I said that as if I didn't mean it, Kev, but I do mean it. I know what you Because I like the band list. The band list is not just good and entertaining, it's educational, and that's what this... If nothing else, that's what this podcast is. This podcast is essentially a 45-minute A-level. How about I stick you in a glass container and make a bonsai Collins? How about... <laughs> There's a lot of people that would tick that particular box. While we ponder that, let's do this. The common complaint is that politicians play God. And I guess when you think about it, they do play God. They are not believed in by the vast majority of the public anymore. They haven't done anything demonstrably useful for absolutely ages. They seem to have developed an incredible ability to live in multiple places at the same time. And they keep employing members of their own family in influential positions. I have to say, John, I bet uh, Lou Reed's wife couldn't believe it when he broke the news to her they were going to do this concert. I mean, concert for dogs, Lou, she said. I know you're avant-garde, but what's the point of that? She must have had to pinch herself. But Lou Reed soon set her straight. This is a great opportunity for us, dear. I tell you, I'll put a band together and whip it into shape. Ah! I'm like a German vegetarian. I fear the worst. <laughs> Please welcome the wonderful Andy Saltzman from the Bugle Podcast on 3123. And we welcome back. We're very, very happy about this, of course, and why wouldn't we be? Mr Andy Saltzman. Andy Saltzman! How are you, Andy? <laughs> I'm very well, thanks. Listen, um, it's not very often we... Uh, you know, ask a guest to come on, and we've got absolutely no reason specifically to talk to them other than we like them a lot, and so do our listeners. That's all right. That's a that's a reason, isn't it? That, that, that'll do for me, and yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that, that's plenty enough. Indeed, and of course, the other thing is cricket, because uh, you know, now that uh, England are declared the, well, does that make them the greatest team in the world, or just the greatest team against Australia? How, how, do, how does that whole cricket thing work? I've asked a couple of questions on Twitter, which you've kind, been kind enough to answer. Yes. Uh, well, yes, I think, I mean, this, this summer we've certainly proved we are the best team in the world at winning the Ashes. Yeah. Um, um, <laughs> so that's three in a row, which is, uh, hasn't happened for uh, a, a very long time since... Um, I think the late seventies, early eighties, uh, and it, it, it feels it feels weird as you know, having been through you know two decades of 
regular humiliations by Australia to uh, now have kind of thrashed them, albeit slightly more narrowly than the scoreline suggests. It just it feels wrong as an England cricket fan. <laughs> we're, used, we're used to being beaten by these people, and there's just something uneasy about it, almost like they've got something stored up, like yeah. it's the kind of opening scenes of a Jaws movie and everyone's playing slightly too happily on the <laughs> to what's coming next. <laughs> well, that, you're spot on there, really, because you know, growing up as a kid, Australia were this nation that, were, you know, sporting-wise, in, in general, really, were... They were just feared across the board when it came to rugby, uh, and certainly when it came uh, to cricket. That we we were nowhere to, to be seen in this cricketing equation, and of course, you know the Aussies, and then you thought about you know South Africa, uh, India, Pakistan, whatever. But certainly the Australians, as a, as a child, I remember thinking, you know that 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 is the country that is simply unbeatable, and it's sort of the whole thing's sort of reversed now. Yes, it's. Uh, it, I mean, it is a bit strange. It's kind of hard to to say also how you know how good England are on the basis of this victory they've had a, a very good year where they won in India against an Indian team in uh, a state of advanced uh, decay and then, um, uh, but before that they lost to South Africa who were the world's best team quite comfortably a year ago so it's kind of hard I mean I think they're sort of second best at the moment but the English uh, public and I think a lot of the English cricket media Oh, see international cricket is basically a two-team event sure. uh, with England and Australia, and everything else is just a warm-up for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's certainly a sense of that, isn't there? Yeah. Uh, and of course, you know, what I noticed with the Ashes this time around was that a lot of people on Twitter, and you, you can probably shine some light on this, a lot of die-hard cricket fans were having a right old moan-up about umpiring decisions. So what, what was happening there? For, you know, to, to the untrained eye, Andy Zaltzman, what, what on earth was going on? I know it's about a bloke who waves his arms around a bit, but what, was he, <laughs> what wasn't he waving that he should have been? Well, there were a lot of decisions that um, technology proved to be correct, or, in fact, the technology they were using, uh, they didn't, weren't sort of using properly. They came up with all kinds of bizarre rogue decisions. I think the umpires themselves ended up really confused and out of form. It seems odd to think of umpires as being in or out of form, but that, that, that seemed to be the case. A lot of confusion with the players about how the technology is used. I mean, I, I kind of prefer going back to the old days in a way when I just had a when I played cricket at school, we just had one of the, the kind of gruff old teachers standing behind the stumps randomly giving you out. <laughs> uh, but doing so in such a terrifying way that you never even contemplated arguing with them. So I think, I think maybe that's what international cricket needs. It just needs some really intimidating umpires. Well, you see, I used to argue, and I argued this partly in, in, in jest, and partly because I was slightly annoyed. That's that human condition that if you don't understand something, just be annoyed with it rather than intrigued. <laughs> and that, so, so cricket has kind of, it sort of haunted me, really. So I, I used to argue when I worked on the other station that it was uh, a game with no, nobody actually knew the rules of cricket, that it just kind of, a bloke made a, a move with his arm and the cricketers all looked at each other and thought, Does that, is, is that out? I think that's, yeah, that's, we better walk off now. And uh, they just sort of made it up as they went along. And in a vague way, I feel slightly um, endorsed by this after the last <laughs> Ashes series. Yes, I think um, you know, maybe the umpires were thinking of you in their decision. You've got to reinforce. Ian Collins is I think that's what that's what was happening. The other interesting thing is, is that you don't you know people think of comedy and they you know there's a rock and rollness about comedy and obviously you know there's there's been some overt rock and roll type comics whose entire image is based on on that sort of gregarious uh, delivery and the like. But comedy and cricket, other than you and I suppose Miles Jupp, do they do they go together very well normally? Well, I think... Um, Is one an antidote to the other? Uh, I think there's always been, uh, I guess, a lot of, um, sort of humour around cricket and a lot of the, the writing going back through the kind of history of, uh, of cricket writing. I think um, in terms of, kind of stand-up comedy, uh, it's, it's a bit different, but there's a kind of fairly um, healthy after-dinner circuit. A lot of ex-players mm. are very entertaining after-dinner speakers. Uh, a lot of the commentators are, are pretty funny on the, on the radio and on... Uh, on television when sure. they're talking about cricket. So I think, I mean, there's, it's a game that kind of encourages contemplation and um, it has sort of random fluctuations of form that I think probably lend themselves to, uh, to comedy. When, uh, when you say contemplation, I mean, some would say that's just a very polite way of saying a little bit boring. <laughs> 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, I, I've, I've worked with a few cricketers, and I don't want to mention Ronnie Irani by name, but you know there are one or two uh, characters that are—they're not exactly the life and soul. <laughs> um, well, uh, I think it's because the game takes so long, and, and that's players, what it is. A lot of time, a lot of time, basically standing in a field waiting for yeah. the ball to come near them, or hoping that it doesn't. In my case, when I play, <laughs> um, and also sitting in the pavilion mulling over their recent or impending failures. I think um, yeah. you know it is, quite, it is quite a contemplative game. That's why um, Americans just cannot get their head around it. They cannot get the idea the idea that something lasts not just uh, a, an entire day, but maybe a couple of weeks or even a couple of months. Yes, which is, uh, but what makes that a bit odd is they have baseball, which is played over a kind of three-hour span, but it has sure. a similar pace to test cricket whilst it's going on. And the season consists of 162 games for each team, plus extra games yeah. for the good ones at the end. So it seems odd. I think, I think they could get their heads around test cricket if they just tried, but you have to ask, would we want them to? Do we want American <laughs> test cricket? We would have already have the rivalry with Australia. I'm not sure the English psyche could stomach a yeah. cricketing rivalry with America as well. And who wants to go and watch the Sussex Red Sox? <laughs> the other thing that cricket does, of course, it means that you're able to bring back a high-quality, top-notch cricket-based podcast. Uh, yes, I've been doing uh, some shows for the uh, for the Times during the summer called mm. the Greatest Test, a kind of kind of quiz show based around. The Ashes, a kind of comic quiz show, which has been uh, it's been uh, been fun. Seems to have had quite a good uh, sure. good response, and also the way the games went. I think a lot of the, the panelists, particularly the English panelists, were revelling in the rare opportunity to uh, enjoy a, a, a kind of thrashing of the old enemy. So um, a lot of some twenty years pent yeah. up frustration has come out. <laughs> it did, yes, was was Ronnie Arani on that by any chance? Uh, he he wasn't. No. Okay, I just thought I'd. Uh run that past you. Uh, and of course, The Bugle. The Bugle is still yeah. there, uh, which is one of the longest running comedy podcasts now uh, because you've done what people should do when they do podcasts and that's keep doing it. Yes. Uh, yes, we're, we're coming up to six years and 250 episodes. That's maybe. madness. Yes. We're only uh, a year and a half in. That uh, <laughs> makes us look silly, really. Uh, yes. And, uh, yeah, it just, yes, it just seems to have carried on. Um, most of the things John and I did together uh, previously um, uh, well, on the radio, were cancelled after one or two series. <laughs> <laughs> we see that—that's the beauty of podcasts, isn't it? You know, yeah. that that autonomy—you uh, you, you really cannot buy or get yeah. or be given anywhere. Yes, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was—it's been, it's been fantastic. The thing I've enjoyed most really, yeah, my yeah, yeah. comedy uh, career, and hopefully will um, carry on. Uh, for a long time, as long as John's increasing showbiz commitments. So. Well, yeah, he's got this. He's got this kind of minor gig, hasn't he, on that sort of satirical yeah. TV show? Yeah. Um, and fronting up, I, I, I can't even remember what it's called now, but he's <laughs> he, he he's, he's doing that. How, how does he do that and a podcast? Because th those kind of shows, joking aside, tend to take you know from morning till night to write and put together, usually uh, five days a week. Yes, I think. Um, Whilst he's been hosting uh, the Daily Show, with uh, the Bugles have been a bit shorter. He's only really had time to do one, one uh, big story rather than uh, usually we do uh, yeah. three or four. So um, they've been slightly different episodes, uh, but it was great that he you know, managed to find the time to, to carry on uh, carry on doing it. Because I think it's been fairly uh, full on in terms of the uh, time commitment. I yeah, I would imagine so. And what about yourself, Annie? Where, where are you next? Because you are one of those comedians that um, I think we keep talking to comedians who uh, didn't do Edinburgh this year. I know oh, yes. not not everybody does it every year anyway, but you know you, you didn't. Lots of others didn't. It, 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 you know, we, is, is there anything to be read into this? Is there a reason why a lot um, of comedians are avoiding Edinburgh? Well, I've, I've no idea about other comedians. I avoided it largely for logistical reasons because my, my wife was finishing a postgraduate course. And I... <laughs> Do some uh, some daddying. Plus the uh, the ashes was on, so uh, you know it's always a good a reason. Really. Um, but I think I'll be back next year. I've, I've got to run at the Soho Theatre in September. Okay. Of a, of a new show called Satirist for Hire, where people can email in the topics they want me to address at the show they're coming to. Fabulous. Uh, so that's uh, I guess replaced what I've done instead of uh, what I'll be doing instead of. And it, will you take that elsewhere after you've done uh, the Soho Theatre? Will, will that become your kind of one-man show for a while? Is that how it works? Or uh, do you... 
Well, um, hopefully. I guess it depends how it goes. It's sort of sure. a, new, a new thing where I'm basically going to try and write um, kind of a different show for every day, <laughs> whether uh, whether um, I can manage that. Uh, yeah. No, that's, that's, that was a great idea that night you thought about it <laughs> while sitting at home thinking, this will be brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, I think by the end of those two weeks, I might be uh, yeah. certainly probably joked out. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure it'll be a beauty. Yeah. So Soho Theatre in September and, and yeah. go- Google Soho Theatre or Andy Zaltzman for the dates and, and, and yeah, further nine, details. I think it's the 9th to the 22nd. Fantastic. Good old run then, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that is that genuinely will be a different show every night. Yes, yeah. So you can, yeah, when you buy your ticket, you'll get sent an email link that you can email your satirical request. Oh, brilliant! Can that be anything, including yeah. cricket? Anything, yeah. And you can even request a political angle for me to, uh, to try and address it from. Uh, oh, that's good. Because, yeah. So uh, you know, I might end up being, you know, trying to. See things from a perspective that I don't naturally see them. Yes, yeah. <laughs> here's a story from the perspective of Godfrey Bloom. I like yeah. that. <laughs> uh, listen, Andy, it's always lovely to have a chat with you. Uh, thank you for coming on, sir. Pleasure. Uh, and we will see you again very soon, we hope. Thank you. That's Andy Zaltzman, everybody, on the podcast. Credit stream. And there you go. Lights off and back to bed. We are, of course, back next week. A big thanks to you for downloading. If you like what we do, want to help support this podcast, get over to iTunes to rate, review, and, of course, subscribe. If you're an Android user, you can try us on the free Stitcher app or download at stitcher.com with a slash once a word. Thanks to all of our guests. All can be followed on Twitter, as can we, at once a word. The in-show feature and sponsor music is by Kevin McLeod. His website is Incompetech. The show's technical operator is Andre Porch. The programme was edited by Theresa Brandt. Our intern was Alan Titchmarsh. And today's utterly gobsmacking fact comes courtesy of Melin Sunderland, who tells me that the name Bromley comes from the Latin Bromlinium, which actually translates as a place where cats live. Sounds about right to me. Oh, and as ever, the in-show catering was provided by Abdul's Coffee Shack. We're back in seven days when the king of cultural journalism, Phil Hilton, will darken our doorstep with a short list of trivia so amazing that the compilers of the OED are standing by for a rewrite. Until then, goodbye. A Big Things Media Production. <laughs> Big Things! Another Ian Collins Once a Word Facts, powered by the Mitsubishi L200. The Mitsubishi L200 comes with active stability and traction control, making it two million times more stable than a Justin Bieber fan on Twitter. And you can begin to... I'm going to have a lift for this one. Credit stream. (laughs) 